with you this morning. What a great thing. Sunday by Sunday we get to worship and we are looking forward to a day when we are going to worship forever and ever together with all the universal church, those who love Jesus around uh, the world. You know, we're about teaching the Bible here. This is our kind of our top secret thing when they ask our strategy is that we teach the Bible verse by verse through the scriptures. And uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. And this is a tough text. If you were just picking texts to teach randomly, you wouldn't pick this one. This is a tough one. So turn there with me and just know we are just going to teach it and hear it from God and respond. God gives it to us for our good and our blessing. As Pastor Jared shared last week, uh, God is concerned as he writes to us in Hebrews through his author, who we don't know for sure, but it is God that's behind these words, that people mature and experience the fullness of walking with Jesus and the abundant life that he has for us, which we call real life transformation. That's what we are aiming for, is that we would walk in that Maturity and our lives as followers of Jesus should reflect that change in our hearts, that hope that we have, that transformation of his love and his grace and his blessing that we are to walk in every day of our lives. But today in this text, and this is what makes this difficult, uh, the author is particularly concerned with those who fall away. And those who fall away in such a way that they never return. This is a heartbreaking thing. We've seen this. We've witnessed this amongst friends that we love and deeply care about who abandon the faith and never come back. And so we want to look at this uh, today and understand God's teaching on this and be inspired by it. This is written to Christians so that we would persevere and stand strong to the end. So let's look at our text this morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. We'll go all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 20. And we will see here in this text, first of all, that there are two types of people. There are those who fall away, and there are those who remain faithful. And we're going to look at, at the end, how to persevere and be amongst those that remain faithful. But let's look at verses 4 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God, to their own harm and holding him in contempt. Okay, those are hard words. These are a group of people who very evidently have been amongst God's people, right? They might be here today. This might be you. God might speak to you this morning where you're far from God. But they've seen and experienced God's goodness. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the promises of God. They've seen him powerfully work amongst God's people. Everybody that comes in here and spends time here or in any church that loves the gospel will see these things and experience these things undeniably that there is a God and he is at work. And these people have seen all of this. 
and yet they fall away. And they fall away in such a way that it's impossible to have them restored. That's what this text says. There is a kind of rebellion and a kind of unbelieving that when we enter into it, there's no hope to get back. A kind of turning from God that's absolutely irreparable. And that's what this text is talking about today. And we've experienced this with people. If you've walked with Jesus and walked with friends that you love, you've seen this happen. They never come back. But notice the qualities of these people. It says in verse 6, second half, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him in contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. It says they are crucifying Christ again. In other words, they are taking on the very posture of those who nailed Jesus to the cross. Out of rebellion and hatred for him, they have become enemies of Jesus. They oppose him, and they've walked away from Jesus Christ, the great Savior of the world. Furthermore, it says that their actions reflect it. They're not like a useful crop of, of a soul and a heart that bears fruit of blessing but rather it becomes thorns and thistles in the way they live and the way they act and their words and their actions and their motives, their priorities. So let's think about this. Like this is, these are hard words, are they not? God is saying something to us this morning. So let's reflect on this just a little bit. Can we first of all agree, we don't want to be those people, right? Let's not be them. Whatever it takes this morning, everybody in this room, let's not be in that place. That would be a good starting point. But also know that this is God warning us. It's frightening, and it's meant to frighten us. It's meant to put fear in our hearts that this can happen to us. If we're not careful and to be alert to the worldly ways creeping into our souls where we give them room to a point where we don't turn back. Hebrews 10.26 says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So, so let me just share a pastoral word with you. If you're afraid by this text, you are not one of these people. <laughs> your heart is tender, your heart is sensitive, you care and it matters to you. The person that's in this place could care less about these words. They're not afraid by them. And so if you struggle with, oh no, is this me? It's not you, <laughs> I assure you. In fact, the best understanding of this text, I think, is that these people never knew God. They were never saved. Their hearts are hardened to him. If they were true Christians and true followers of God, 
God will bring them back. He always promises he will bring his people back. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, he will bring you back. These are people who aren't in that place. Because look it, we know this. We all wander, every one of us. I mean, I have set out to run away from Jesus more than once in my life. And he doesn't let me go away. <laughs> and am I thankful, right? As we were interviewing one of our elder candidates yesterday, he said similarly, he goes, I have tried to run away from Jesus at times in my life and have not been able to. These are people that are not his. And God says, have your way. So this is a text that's meant to warn us as Christians. It's meant to create a fight within us to stay on the good path. It's a reminder, don't let sin have its way. Don't give yourself to things in the ways of the world. Don't play around with rebellion. These were the words and the warnings of Jesus to every one of us. When he spoke in his famed Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So, so let's, let's fight against apathy. Let's fight against indifference, drifting. It's a little bit like the proverbial frog in the kettle. The heat just slowly gets turned up. We're almost insensitive to it. And then pretty soon, it's so hot, we die. And so let's be alert to these things that creep into our life. You know, there is a very popular movement afront today called the deconstruction movement. Familiar with this? What's going on amongst evangelical people that have grown up in truth teaching, Bible teaching churches? Churches? It's popular. And it's considered courageous by our culture to question everything you've ever been taught from the Bible and about your faith and to challenge it. And people are doing this, they're deconstructing their faith. And in the end, often it's ending up in places where they have no faith. They end up in this category right here. Walking away from God never to return, some of them. Don't do this, Christians. Don't deconstruct your faith. You don't know where that will take you. The Bible is true and you can stand on it. And what you've been taught from the, from the Bible from your youth is true. And you can base your life on it and stand on it. Don't sit and be a critic of it. It's dangerous. So these are people who fall away. But there's also people that remain faithful. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you do. These are people who are followers of Jesus. 
They're not at risk for walking away permanently from him. They will remain faithful. And you notice it by a changed life. This is what the gospel does. It changes our hearts. It changes us from the inside out. Jesus said it this way, you will know them by their fruit. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Those that follow Jesus love and serve and lay down their life and walk in obedience to him. Now, let's be real clear here about the gospel. Because the gospel does not say, I do good things and therefore I'm accepted. But it does say, I am freely accepted by grace through faith in him alone. And therefore, I do good things. <laughs> You're changed. You're Romans 6 says, Paul says, are you going to just go on sinning any way you want because you've received mercy? No, don't do that. You are new. You are brand new in Christ. Now be different. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we're saved by grace through faith. And then we walk in the things that God has called us to do as changed people. Now, did you see this in this text? These people are known for their service of the saints. Verse 10. They love God's people and they serve them. Do you have an affection and a love for God's people? Do you love gathering with those that also walk with Jesus? This is what's true of God's people. They love being together. It's the coolest thing. We are together to serve each other. We're together to build each other up in the faith, it says in Jude 20 and 21. And we like it. We've been changed. We were with some good friends this past weekend, <clears throat> and uh, we were gathered around a table, and we were talking to one another and just laughing and laughing and just having a great time together. And there was a dear saint amongst us who made us all dinner, one of the best dinners we've had in a while, and served us all. And she just listened and enjoyed, and we just sat around and enjoyed the food and just had a really amazing time fellowshipping around the person of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. And you are here, brothers and sisters, to serve one another this morning. What are you going to do to love and care for those around you today before you leave? Maybe you've already done it. A bunch of you already have. But there's somebody here that needs you to serve them before you leave this morning. This is what we do. This is why we gather. This is unique amongst God's people. But it also says that uniquely we possess faith and hope. And we see that in verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. People who have faith and patience, it says in verse 12. And so we are to be filled up with hope and faith. We are look look ahead to another kingdom. We are not people of this earth, but we are aliens here, the Bible says. We are people of another kingdom. We live for a different king. Yes, we are good citizens in America, but we live for King Jesus and we are part of his kingdom. And we live for the future and eternal reward of following him. 
We are not people who pursue the American dream, but we pursue the pleasing of God and we store up treasures in heaven. We are people of hope and of faith. This is what it means to be people who remain faithful. Now, the last half of this section talks about how do we be those people? Because this is, this is what's at stake here, right? We don't, we don't want to be the people who uh, drift away and don't come back. We want to be the people of faith who stay true to God to the end. So how do we do that? And we're going to see this in verses 13 through, through 20. How do we avoid being in the camp of unbelief and the camp of apostasy and walking away from, from God? Let's look at verses 13 to 17. And, and the writer grabs an Old Testament story to make his points. <clears throat> For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Okay, now I want you to see what God is doing here. And he's using Abraham as an example. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a father of many nations. And I'm going to give you a son through whom those nations will come to bear. But he says, I am going to guarantee that this is going to happen to you. And I'm going to do it not only through a promise, but I'm going to guarantee it through an oath. I'm going to do it two ways. I'm going to promise you, and then I'm going to make an oath, which is really a legal binding commitment to do it. This is what God is doing here. I'm not only saying it, but I'm going to legally bind it that it will come true. His promises are sure, but he's making a point. And we see this kind of language throughout the scripture with God where he speaks in legal terms to us. He tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that he will forgive us our sins. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever you've done that you think is too horrible to be forgiven, God freely forgives you when you confess it. And that sounds maybe almost too good to be true because a lot of us have done a lot of really cruddy stuff. But then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, that Jesus is our advocate, that that would be true. Which means he is legally defending us that that is true. In other words, he can not but forgive. He has to, to be true to his character and who he is. He can't do anything but forgive you when you confess your sin. It is a legal binding agreement between God and us when we confess our sin. And it says God cannot lie. His character is on the line. (laughs) And these promises that he gives us in Scripture, what it means to be his people, to be blessed, and to have an eternity that is certain, it, it would be tempting, right, for us And for these hearers in the first century to go, that's just too good to be true. It can't be that he would give us an eternity so amazing and so perfect and walk with us in a blessed way here on earth. That's too much. And that's why he says, I give you my oath. (laughs) My character is on the line. I promise. It is 
certain. And God wants us to trust him. This honors him to take him at his word and to believe. To believe these promises. That everything that he brings our way passes through his good hand. That nothing comes our way that isn't for our ultimate good. And we're to rejoice in the certainty of a future that when we live and breathe our last day, we are with him forever. <laughs> in a new heaven and a new earth. Can you imagine? I mean, this earth is pretty spectacular. We're driving here to church this morning, right? We get to drive along 215 from Sugar House, and that Mount Olympus is right there in front of us. Mary and I are just marveling at this place. If it just weren't for all the people that were around us, right? It would be like perfect, <laughs> right? But imagine if all of you were sinless and really good to each other and kind and thoughtful. I mean, right? That would even be better yet. Like a amazing earth with people who are completely forgiven and made completely holy and live forever without any sin or pain or suffering or death. Can you imagine this? Does that sound too good to be true? It needs to feel that way. And that's when you know you've got it. <laughs> this is why he gives us an oath. We're to believe him, his character. Christians are to be marked by bright hopefulness. I love Psalm 112, verse 7. It says, he has no fear of bad news because he hopes in God. My boss, my first boss in the corporate world, would say to me, we want to be good news people, Kevin. When people see us coming in this corporation, they want to go, you know, this is going to be good news. Right? So many are not this, right? That's a good, this guy wasn't a Christian. That's a good Christian perspective. We are people of the gospel. We are people of good news. When they see us coming, they should know we are coming with good news. That's who we are. We have hope. We have bright hope for tomorrow. And so we rejoice, it says in Romans 5, too. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that all this will come to pass, that we will be forgiven, that we will be made whole, that death will be taken away, that we will be healed of all our brokenness and all our diseases, and we will live forever with him in eternity, our God being worshipped. So brothers and sisters, it's going to be okay, whatever you're going through. It's going to be okay, because God's got this. And he's taking you through it to make heaven even sweeter. That's why we go through these things. So it says in verse 18, hold fast. Hold fast to the hope that is set before you. See, Abraham was promised that he would have a son. You know how long he had to wait before that son was born? Anyone know the answer to that, class? 25 years. Right? You ever claimed a promise of God and had to wait a while? A month or two? Three? How about 25 years of waiting before God came through? He will come through. He's made an oath. But sometimes we have to wait. And sometimes we have to wait a really long time. And sometimes we may not even see the answer until we get to heaven and see it. That means this life isn't going to be easy. This isn't, this isn't sugarcoating life. It's just saying we are people of hope that God is doing something good and will deliver us in the end. I have rarely found serving Jesus to be very easy. I, have, I, I wish this would happen to me. Please, I wish this would happen to me. Maybe God someday will give this to me. I have never found it easy to get ready for a sermon. It is always hard work. 
just want my job to be easy. Do you? You find it's not? No, it stinks. Like it's hard, right? And this is why he says the fruit of the Spirit is, say with me, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Oh. Not just suffering. You hearing this word? Not just suffering. Long-suffering. This is what God is doing in us. Because we have the hope of God taking us through and bringing us whole to the end. So, here's what he's aiming for with us. And we see it at the end in verse 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Here's the grounding now. Hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Right? What's in the inner place behind the curtain? God, his presence, right? That's what's there. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to leave Melchizedek to Jared next week because he's the Old Testament scholar. So, but here's what we're seeing here. That the aim of everything that God is doing with us is to get us into his presence. And Jesus has broken through the veil through his death on the cross to get us there if we walk with him. This is the treasure. This is the blessing of the Christian life. It's the presence of God. When the Bible speaks of God's presence, he's always speaking of him as present to bless when we walk intimately with him, we are blessed, we are filled, we are full. And what we are to do now is pursue following Jesus to walk more intimately into the presence of God. And there is nothing like it, brothers and sisters. When we experience God's presence and the fullness of his love and grace and mercy and holiness, there is nothing like it. We get a little taste of it on Sunday morning when we sing and we sing to him. And what fills our heart is the message of this gospel and God's presence as he speaks to us of his love. And we say, I believe, right? I believe. I was talking to one of our dear sisters in Christ, Sherry Hastings, this past week. And she's been battling cancer and is in the hospital. And she says, Kevin, I'm just trusting God. I'm just holding on to him. And I read her Psalm 23, you know. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Whatever it is you're going through, here is the treasure. Band, you can come on up. Here is the joy. We have God with us. It's his presence. And he is always present to bless when we are his people. But what we have to understand is to experience this at the fullest possible way. It comes with complete surrender. Abraham experienced this most profoundly when he surrendered his very son. And then he experienced God's blessing. When we surrender to him fully every corner of that life, even that corner of our heart we don't like to take out, let anybody see, we don't even want God there. 
When we surrender to him, we experience his blessing. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 asks this question. Who can ascend to his holy hill? Who can be in his presence? Who can? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. This is how we get more intimately into the presence of God, through surrendering our lives completely to him. Giving our lives over to him. This is the Christian life. To pursue this joy and blessing, the one of his presence. And then when we are close to him and we pursue him, he fills us up and we pour it out to others. We become what Jesus said are river people through which his spirit flows through us. And so Paul said it this way. He goes, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Christ came and he died on a cross to bring us to himself that we might come into the presence of God and he is saying to us, now go after it. Pursue his presence. Don't do that foolish sin anymore. Come into his holy place by walking in intimacy with him. Give your life wholeheartedly and completely to him. Then you will be blessed. That's the invitation this morning in this text and you will persevere to the end. A little song that I play every Sunday morning on the way to church. It brings me tears even starting to talk about it. And in that song, toward the end, it says, with every breath, I want to follow Jesus. With every breath, I want to follow Jesus. I want this. I want to be in his presence. I want to experience his blessing. I want the river of life to flow through me to others as we give our lives completely to him. So if you want to join me in singing this song this morning, with every breath, I want to follow Jesus. If that's your heart this morning, let's stand and let's sing this song.